The last two weeks, we looked at the beginning of Christmas. And I tried to do it in one week, but I couldn't do it because it was just too long. And that was John. So if, if you're not familiar with, uh, I'm sorry, if you want to go to you know, Children's Church, I guess I forgot to announce that. Go ahead. Um, the Christmas actually starts with the announcement of John being born, who was the forerunner of Christ, and talked about that and how important that was because Christ could not be born until John. So we talked about that last week. This week I want to look at kind of what happened in between those two things from the time that announcement of John's birth was or he was going to be born and his actual birth. And this is a story that we're kind of a little more familiar with. And if you want to go to Luke, the first chapter, we're going to get right in the middle of where uh, John's Christmas story is. And uh, we're going to start at the uh, 26th verse of Luke, the first chapter. all there okay and in the sixth month now this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy the angel Gabriel now Gabriel is the same angel that we learned heard last week uh, that went or went to Zacchaeus Zacchaeus Zachariah I'll get these names right in a minute I just brushed my teeth and I can't do a thing with my mouth so this is the same angel that was sent to Zach Zachariah to announce that John was going to be born and he was sent from God unto a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin espouse. Now, espouse means engaged. We would say it engaged. But in their culture, if you were espoused or you were engaged, it was just like you were married. And you would, if you broke up with that person, you would have to get a divorce. You could not just leave like we do now and break off an engagement. It was just as if you were married, even though you did not live together until the husband or the the man had built the dwelling place for his wife. So in that culture, when you, once you were a spouse, that was it. You were, you were their wife, technically, in that time. So anyway, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Gabriel was expecting, expressing joy about meeting Mary. Now, you know from the time of Genesis, there was a promise of a Messiah to come. And all the angels were so excited about this event that was going to happen, and all the preparation that happened in heaven that we don't have privy to or we don't have that information but they did and they seen could see all the things behind the scenes that we can't see and so Gabriel he was familiar with all this stuff and all this preparation going on and now it's finally going to happen and now Gabriel is coming to the one who has been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah so Gabriel he's excited he's just excited as if you would be if you met whoever your greatest hero might be in society. If you're a basketball fan, then maybe that's Michael Jordan, if to meet Michael Jordan. Or if, if you're a President Bush fan, it'd be like meeting President Bush. And so here's Gabriel, man, he's so excited to meet this one that's going to be the one that's going to give birth to the Messiah. So Gabriel is excited, and he says, Hail Mary, thou art blessed among all women. And Mary, of course, she would be confused. 
because blessed, Mary was a, a poor peasant woman, and to, by blessing by our standards, we would think money or some other kind of uh, material things that we'd have. If somebody says, man, you're really blessed, in our society, that thinks, man, you have a lot of money in the bank, you have a nice house, you have a nice car, you have all these other kind of things. So Mary was kind of confused about the greeting that she received from Gabriel. And I think I would be troubled too if an angel come and appeared to me. And that's why they always say, fear not, because that's supposed to make it better. And in reality, it does to a certain degree. If somebody breaks into your house and they say, fear not, I'm not going to hurt you, all of a sudden, yeah, you're afraid, but all of a sudden you kind of are a little more comfortable with being robbed if you know you're not going to get hurt. So anyway, um, verse 30. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? At this moment, Mary knew that Gabriel was talking about the Messiah. And uh, as if you were a young girl during that period of time and you were a descendant from the line of David, your prayer would be, when I grow up, maybe I can give birth to the Messiah. When I grow up, maybe I can be the one. And that was the biggest present that anybody could ever have or the biggest gift that anybody could ever have. If a, if a little young child grows up and sees Michael Jordan on TV or some other uh, big athlete on TV doing all these things. So, oh, I want to grow up and I want to be just like him. I want to play basketball like him. I want to be able to play baseball like him or football like him. I want to be like Peyton Manning when he's, you know, the MVP or, or the, win the Super Bowl and all those other kind of things. But in that culture, every little girl grew up with a hope that maybe I, I can give birth to the Messiah. I can be the one that is chosen to do this. And that's all they thought about because they knew that one day the Messiah would be born because they've read about it in the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament. They knew all the prophecies and they were educated in, in the prophecies and they knew that one day it was going to happen. And the child that grow, raised up, they thought, oh man, maybe I can be the one. I can be the one that's chosen. So it would be the greatest blessing that any child could have would be able to grow up and give birth to the Messiah. So this is an exciting day for Mary. She doesn't know how it's going to happen. Now she says, now how can this be? I'm engaged to a man, but I haven't even been intimate with him or anyone else. So how in the world can this be? Now we know that when we, we, we learned about Zechariah, that he doubted in his heart. How in the world is, can this be? And Mary asked kind of the same question, but the inflection and the attitude is different because she wants to know how it can happen because I haven't been with a man. She was kind of looking through natural eyes at something that, the, that Gabriel was telling her, you're going to have a child. And she said, well, man, how can this be? I haven't even been, been with a man. How can this be? She was looking through natural eyes and the natural way of things being done. How many times do we do that in our life? We find a promise that God has given us, and we grab a hold of it, and we say, God, I'm clinging to this promise. And then we sit there and we look at it through natural eyes. How can this happen? How can this be? 
And we ask the same questions. And we sit there and wonder, how can this be? Because we're looking through our natural eyes and we can't see. When we don't have any money and our bills are all due, and we know that God says, if I'm faithful and give my money to the church and I pay my tithes and I give my offerings, that I can claim this promise that he's going to meet my needs. But then we turn around and we look at it through natural eyes. And we say, how can this be? How are you going to do this, God? I don't even have a job. Or I'm not even going to get paid for another six weeks or whatever it might be. How are you going to do it? Because we look through natural eyes. And that's what Mary was doing. She was trying to answer God's promises through natural eyes. And we know we can't do that when we're dealing with God. If we have God that tells us, tell, that tells us something and we can cling on to it, we cannot look at it through natural eyes. We have to look at it through the eyes of faith and through the supernatural power of God's ability to do it. Because we know God can do anything in our heart. We know he can do anything and we don't have to worry about it. But we've got to quit looking at things in natural eyes. We've got to look at it through God's eyes and through God's powers and ability to grant whatever he said he's going to do. Luke uh, verse 35. And the angel said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Wow. Now Mary was familiar with overshadowing of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Because all the prophets in the Old Testament, they were overshadowed or they were anointed or filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to speak God's word. Every time a prophet from the Old Testament prophesied, the Holy Spirit would overshadow them. He would fill them and be able to speak those words that, that God wanted them to speak. Of course, we know that, that then after they spoke God's word, then the Holy Spirit would leave until the next time God had a message that wanted to be given. We in the New Testament age, we have the power and the ability of God to be able to stay with us the whole time. So we can walk in the same power and anointing that the Old Testament prophets had, only it never leaves us. It's with us all the time because Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we have that gift, we have that ability from God to be able to have that Holy Spirit with us all the time. So Mary was familiar with that. So that answered that question for her. She knew that God could do it because, hey, the Old Testament prophets did it. They were anointed, and they said miraculous things, and everything they said came to pass. So she knew that that was how God could do it, and all of a sudden that answered her question, and she didn't need to worry about it. Even though God hadn't spoken to anyone through a prophet or anybody for 400 years, no one had heard the voice of God. I mean, I don't like it if I can't hear from God every day or sense his presence in my life. I hate that. Can you imagine going your whole life without being able to hear God's voice in your, in your heart? I can't even imagine that. And to be able to still have faith. How can you have faith if you can't even sense God? The Old Testament people that served God, I'll tell you, they had, they had a lot of faith. If we had just as much faith as the Old Testament believers had, man, what could we do for God? Because we have the ability to be able to hear from God every time we talk to him. It's just a matter of turning our ears to his voice. But sometimes we're not willing to put in the time we need <clears throat> to get to know God so we can do that. We don't want to put in the time reading his word. We don't want to put in the time studying his word. We don't want to put in the time praying. So, therefore, we don't hear his word. But if we do what we need to do, because God's sitting up there and he's always saying, hey, just talk to me, speak to me, read my word. I want to talk to you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to meet your need. I want to do these, all these things for you. 
But for 400 years, God was silent. <clears throat> I can't even imagine the silence that must have endured during that time. And now Zechariah was the first one to hear God's voice or God's message in 400 years. And now here's Mary. Now everything's going to start happening all at once. And God has stopped his silence and he's starting to speak. And Mary gets to hear the message. And she understands how this can happen. And all of a sudden she says, all right, all right, this is good. I understand this now. And we also know <clears throat> from... Uh, our doctors or our DNA specialists or whatever you call those people that understand all DNA and all those other kind of things, we know that the sin nature is passed through the man. If you didn't know that, it's passed through the man. So that's why Jesus could not have an earthly father. Because Jesus could not be born and have a sin nature. Because someone with a sin nature cannot die for our sin. They have to die for their own sin. But they couldn't die for my sin or your sin. So Jesus could not have an earthly father. That's why he had to be born of a virgin. And he had to be born of someone without a natural father. And so that sin nature would not be passed on. And the body of Jesus would be created by the direct power of God. Or the essence of God would be placed into Mary. And so she started grasping this and she started understanding this. And Luke, the 36th verse. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. <clears throat> now, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. And families back then, they didn't have telephones. And they didn't have the Pony Express. And they didn't have all these other things to be able to keep in contact with somebody. So Elizabeth, who was her cousin, there was an old, older couple, like we learned when we, when we talked about this, that, and was barren. And she didn't have any children. Now she was too old to have kids. And he's telling her, thy cousin Elizabeth, she's going to have a baby. She's pregnant and in her sixth month. And this to Mary was kind of a way to encourage her faith. To say, see, nothing's impossible with God. Mary, or Elizabeth's going to have a baby because God created a miracle, allowed a miracle to happen, and they're going to have a son. And so it was there to encourage Mary to be able to believe this extraordinary thing that the angel was telling Mary. Because this isn't something that's easy to understand or comprehend. This was something that was way out there that, man, I'll tell you, you talk about something to believe or have faith in doing, this was it. Be like me having a baby. Oh, because me and Willie's just thinking about it. It'd be a miracle upon miracle upon miracles, you know. But that's what Mary was looking at. And she finally grasped it and she finally understood it. And, and Gabriel was saying, hey, see, God can do it. And so it, he said it to be able to build up her faith. Uh, verse uh, 38. And Mary said, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. At this moment, she had heard enough. She says, okay, yes. I'm willing to do it. I have faith. I believe it's going to happen. I want to give birth to the Messiah, and I don't care about anything else that's going on. Mary said yes to God's will. How about us? Have we said yes to God's will in our life? Have we done that? Maybe sometimes. Maybe not all the time. She said no, yes, knowing that she would might lose Joseph. Because who in the world wants to marry someone or take her into your home that's pregnant? was somebody else's baby. I mean, 
in today's society, that wouldn't fly very well, let alone back then. And she said yes, knowing that she could be stoned for this. This, to be pregnant without, out of marriage or out of, uh, before that, he brought his wife into his home was a stoning offense because it would be adultery. And they could take her out and stone her if they wanted to because it was a stonable offense. But she said yes, not caring. It didn't matter what the consequences were. It didn't matter what happened or what didn't happen. If it meant that, then God was able to, if God was able to get her pregnant, then God was able to take care of her. And that's what we need to do in our own lives. When we look at something, we, don't, we need to quit looking at the consequences of it. What's people going to think of me? If I go witness to my neighbor, what are they going to think about me? Who cares? Are you going to get stoned? Are you in danger of being killed? Not in America yet. It might happen sometime in our lifetime, the way things are going. If you live in another area of the country, yeah, you have to consider this. That's why when they make commitments in other areas where it costs you your life, they're really saved because they know it might cost me my life. Well, that's what Mary was saying. She was saying, yes, even if it costs me my life, I'm saying yes to God. I'm saying yes to God's will, and I don't care what anyone else has to say about it. She said yes, knowing she'd lose her reputation. Wow. They say in our society, the best thing that you have is your name. Well, she's willing to sacrifice her good name for God. Are we willing to do the same in our own life? Are we willing to say yes to God, even though people call us fanatics, even though they call us fools, even though they call us holy rollers or whatever they might call us? Are we willing to say yes to God and say, I don't care, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to do it, even if it costs me my reputation. It doesn't matter, because I want God's will in my life. I want the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to serve God. So am I willing to do that? We have to answer that question in our own life. Mary was willing to do that. Are we available to God? Mary said, I'm available. God doesn't always use the most gifted or the most talented, but he always will use the available. If you're available to God, then God will use you. And God kind of likes the less qualified people because then we, they know it has to be God is the one that's doing it. I'm not the most gifted speaker, but I'll tell you, I'll take the anointing of God on a message over, any, over whoever they are. Robin, Robin Williams, whoever his name is, that, that great uh, person that encourages you and gives you all these wonderful things on how to live your life. He makes a lot of money doing that. I'd rather be anointed and, not ha and have God's message than I would anything else. Are we, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to, to be able to serve God no matter what because of that anointing of God? And if you've ever felt the touch of God in your life, how could you not want it? How could you not choose that over anything else? And that's what Mary was saying yes to. And Mary had enough faith to believe God that if God did this, then God would work it out. God could take care of her because it didn't make any sense to her for God to tell her she was going to give birth to the Messiah and then have somebody stone her. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. So she had enough faith saying, yes, here I am. I'm available. I'm willing to do this. And I have enough faith and I have enough confidence in you, God, to take care of me. When we step out on faith with God, do we have enough faith in our heart to understand and to know that God can take care of us? And God can take, take care of it no matter what the situation is. When we do something for God, God's responsible for the results. 
When I'm up here, it doesn't matter what I say. I'm, if I'm saying what I feel like God wants me to say, he's responsible for the results, not me. So if you don't like something I'm saying, hey, take it up with him. Because he's the one that's responsible for the results. When we get so concerned and worried about the results and we try to direct the results to a certain way, we're in trouble. But when we just do what we feel like God wants us to do and let him be responsible for the results and step back and say, hey, God, it's your problem now. I did it. I went and witnessed to my neighbor, and they got irritated with me. I've had people get really upset at me when I've talked to them about God. And if they weren't related to me, they probably would have hit me. I don't know. <laughs> but some people don't like it. But I felt like I needed to do that. And I was willing to be able to put myself out there. And if they didn't like it, and if they hated my guts, I didn't care. Because God's responsible for the results. And then I'm responsible to pray for those people. Don't witness to anybody. Don't testify to anybody. Don't do anything for God if you're not willing to pray for them and help them if they have a question. Even if you don't know the answer, and you don't have to know the answer. You don't have to know the answer to every question that's going to come your way. So I'm, I'm, I'm releasing you of that fear right now because it's, it's okay to say, I don't know the answer. That's really a good question, but I'm going to see if I can find out. And then it gives you the opportunity to be able to go back to them again and talk to them again about the Lord. So that's good. I don't have all the answers to every question that people are going to ask me, but I know somebody that does. So all I have to do is, okay, I'll get back with you, and I'll do my best to find an answer, and I'll work, and I'll try to find an answer to that question. So we don't need to worry about that. But when we do something for God, or we talk to someone about God, then God's responsible for the results. We've got to quit trying to be God. When we do, all we do is mess up the situation. But we just do it in God's will and believe that God has the ability and the talent to take care of it. Hey, I, I'm released from it. Uh, verse 39. And Mary arose. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into the city of Judea, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted or salutated Elizabeth or said good morning or whatever that their common greeting was. She left as soon as possible to be able to verify God's word. Now, it's okay to verify God's word. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to verify God's word because sometimes what we feel like God wants us to do doesn't make any sense. So we have to make sure that what God wants us to do is his will. And we, it's okay to verify that. <coughs> we can verify that by reading God's word because God will never tell you to do something that goes against his word. Never. I have that confidence that I know that much. And get counseling from the pastor, from Christian friends, or whatever it was, and kind of verify those things. That's okay to verify things. And to be able to pray and seek God and make sure that this is what he wants you to do. Especially if it's a life-changing situation. And we need to do that. So Mary, as soon as she could do it, as soon as it was possible for her to do it, she left in haste and she went to see Elizabeth to verify what the angel had told her was true because she had this hope in her heart. Oh, it is true. It is true. In spite of everything that she knew she was going to have to face, the outcastness of, of their society, the, her reputation being ruined, all these other kind of things, she was excited about the prospect of God's promise to her. So she left in haste and she went out to do it. And when we know what God wants us to do and we need to verify it, then we need to move with haste. We've got to quit sitting on our laurels and not doing things. We need to start doing the things that God wants us to do. That's the reality of it. God wants us to act. 
And if he's speaking to our hearts about something, we've got to act. And we've got to start doing what God wants to do. And we need to respond in haste. Don't sit around and sit around and sit around and wait. There are a lot of people in this, this world that God had a call on their lives when they were young men or young women. And they just ignored the call until they got up into their 40s or 50s or whatever it might be. And now their whole life that they could have served God and done what God wanted them to do is past. I didn't get saved when I was young. I didn't get saved till I was 40 years old. And I sat there and I prayed and I prayed and prayed, God, I wasted so many years of my life. I wished I could have known this when I was 20, when I was a lot younger than I, than I was. But I, pro- I wouldn't have received it when I was in my 20s. So God couldn't reach me until I was in my 40s. But I wanted to make sure that at that time, I wanted the whatever years I had left from that period of on till the day they throw me in the ground or till the Lord returns, that I want to be able to do what God wants me to do. And I want to make a difference. That's, my, that's a prayer of my heart. And that should be the prayer of all our hearts. I want my life to make a difference. Make a difference, Lord. I wrote a song about that. Let my life make a difference. A difference, dear Lord. One of these days, maybe I'll sing it. So Mary, she reacted in haste, and she wanted to uh, go see what happened. In verse uh, 41, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Whoa, I've had my babies when I was pregnant move in my womb a little bit, and it's kind of, kind of exciting. You men don't get that privilege and that honor to be able to, to know that. You probably put your hand upon your wife's stomach to be able to feel it. But a baby moving around, you know, they don't get too rambunctious in there. But John, when she heard the voice of Mary, man, that baby just got excited. And that answers the question, in case you were wondering, do babies hear when they're inside the womb? That answers that question. It's in the Bible. They can hear when they're inside their womb. And that's why if you're young and you're in those years of childbearing, read the word to your babies. Tell them how much you love them in there because they, they can hear you. They can hear you. And they did a survey or some kind of a test years ago. This was a lot of years ago that I read about. I don't remember who did it. But they did a thing with babies when they were at the kicking stage. Didn't like the kicking. Didn't like the kicking because they always managed to kick in the wrong places. But anyway, and they rang a bell. Every time the baby kicked, they rang a bell. And well, pretty soon, they could ring the bell and the baby would kick. So they proved beyond a doubt that not only could they hear, but they could learn. So that's kind of, you know, interesting. So we need to start treating the babies inside and start speaking God's words over them when they're here at this stage and then when they're born till the time they get older. Because the Bible says when we train them up, right, then they'll not depart from their teaching. That's the reality of it. So that answers that question. And no wonder that John leaped in the womb. Here, the forerunner of Christ was in Elizabeth's womb, and he he heard the voice of the one that was going to give birth to the Messiah. The reason John was going to be born, he heard the voice, and he knew as a a baby, because from the moment that baby was born and conceived in Elizabeth's womb, it was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit anointed that baby, and it leaped in, in Elizabeth's womb. And when the Spirit falls on somebody, you can't help but get excited. And Elizabeth, you know, she started getting a little excited anyway. If you've been to a, to a service when the Holy Spirit is kind of real thick, 
and that you come in and man you just can't help but get excited there's just something in the air that just makes you want to get excited well that was kind of what's going on John started kind of the the little prayer thing going with his little leaping and then Elizabeth joined in verse 42 and she spake out with a loud voice and said blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me now Elizabeth knew who Mary was Mary was her cousin So it isn't like she didn't know who she was. But at this moment, she knew that this was going to be the one to give birth to the Messiah. Now, Elizabeth, next to the giving birth to the Messiah, giving birth to the the forerunner of Christ, was the greatest blessing that they could have. But Elizabeth was a tribe of Levi, so she couldn't give birth to to the Messiah. But Mary, she was descended from David, so she could. So here's the baby leaping in the womb, and Elizabeth is so excited about it because she finally gets to realize that, hey, because from the time Elizabeth was small, she heard about the day that Messiah was going to come, and all things are going to be different. They're going to die for our sins, and, and all these things and all these promises. All of a sudden, that 400 years of silence was over, and they could, they could rejoice and get excited about it because when God shows up, there's excitement in the air. There's something in the air at Christmas time that's not anywhere any other time of the year. And it's just the magic of Christmas. And I believe it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that still dwells in through the Christmas season. Even though it's not the right time Jesus was born, it doesn't matter. We celebrate his birthday right at this time of year. And the Holy Spirit just kind of lingers through the places. And it turns people into human beings. People that aren't normally nice or whatever, all of a sudden, oh sure, there's some scrooges out there. But generally, most, most of the people are a little nicer. They'll smile at you. They'll say, Merry Christmas. Or they will, if I keep saying Merry Christmas enough to them, if they say Happy Holidays. If they say Happy Holidays, I'll say Merry Christmas. And I'll say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Then they'll finally get it. And they'll say, oh, Merry Christmas. Because I like Merry Christmas. Because that's why we have Christmas. It's Christmas we're celebrating, not a holiday. Of course, if they want to carry that out. Because holiday means a holy day. So when they say on holiday, oh, Happy ho- Holy Day to you too. See? And if they knew that, they would hate that even more. So, verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe babe leaped for joy. Elizabeth told Mary what had happened. And Elizabeth confirmed what the angel had told Mary. Because Mary hadn't said a word to Elizabeth yet. She hadn't told her anything about it. She just went and said, hello, hello, Elizabeth, or however they greeted people. We kind of say hi and hug people or whatever. I don't know what their greeting was at that time. But Elizabeth confirmed what the Gabriel had told Mary. And God will confirm what he tells us to do. He'll confirm it somehow, some way. God will confirm everything he's told us to do. Whether it's through somebody else saying something to you, not knowing anything about what God has been speaking into your heart. But God will confirm his word to you, especially he wants you to do something that seems a little out there. If he's calling you to be a preacher or calling you to the mission field and you kind of feel that drawing in your heart, then somewhere in your life God's going to give you some kind of verification to that. So he verified, Elizabeth verified to Mary what the angel had said and all of a sudden everything kind of, all her, she didn't need faith anymore, she had reality because you live by faith until reality shows up and the reality was showing up here during this time. Uh, Verse uh, 45. 
And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her by the Lord. Mary was telling her that the, whatever the angel told you, it's going to be confirmed. God's confirming it through me. Because, like I said, Elizabeth didn't know what the angel, all the angel had told her. But Mary had no doubt after that. Verse uh, 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Mary was saying, from now on, from this day forward, everyone is going to call me blessed. Because I am truly blessed, because I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. She knew that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. And we do call her blessed. We don't, this doesn't give us license to worship anybody. Because we're all blessed. When God calls us and saves us and redeems us, we're all blessed. But Mary was called to do a specific task. She was called to be the mother of Jesus. That was a great calling. That was a blessed calling. That, and everyone knows who Mary is because of that. But God has blessed all of us, too, with a calling, something in our lives that he has asked us to do. Oh, maybe it isn't preaching. Maybe it isn't going to the mission field. Maybe it's working on the job or whatever it is that you're doing. God has put you there just as much as he's put me here. And for people that are gifted in decorating, like Cecilia and Calander are, you know, that's a gift from God. And to be able to, to utilize. So, but it doesn't give us license to, to think that people are any different than, than we are. Because we're all the same. We're just called to do different work. And one work that God has given us to do isn't any better than anybody else's. So we need to, we need to understand that. And all of a sudden, Mary joins the revival service. She... She's finally, you know, kind of getting excited. And I believe that it's this moment, this is the moment that the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. And I believe this is the moment of conception for Mary. When I did this, when I was going through these verses, I never ever, you know, I've read this I don't know how many times, and I just never really thought about it. But I believe that this is the moment that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and that Jesus was placed inside her womb. Because when the Holy Spirit came down in a mighty way upon her and she started to prophesy, I believe that was the moment that Jesus was conceived. Because it didn't happen when Gabriel talked to her. It didn't happen there because there's no recording of the Holy Spirit coming upon her. There's no recording of anything. We're wondering, we see Mary a little bit confused about all this stuff that she's heard and trying to understand it. But when she goes and sees Elizabeth and the Holy Spirit starts falling and the Holy Spirit starts filling the place, Oh, I'd like to have been in that prayer meeting. Wouldn't that have been exciting? Been there? Woo, that had been something. Woo, that had been exciting to be there. But we can have more than that now because we can walk in the Holy Spirit. We don't need to worry about it just once or twice in our lifetime if you're a prophet or whatever it might be. We can have it every day. So we can have a Holy Ghost meeting in our homes. Imagine that, having a Holy Ghost fit in your, life, in, in your home, in your own special prayer closet. Actually, in some cases, that's better because sometimes we get up and we come to church and we kind of... Oh, what's somebody going to think about me if I, you know, if I jump up and down or if I get a little excited, if I clap my hands or if I raise my hands or, or do something, what are people going to think? But when you're home, hey, nobody's there. So you can have a Pentecostal fit if you want to. So, but I believe in that verse 35, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
And I, like I said, that's, I, I believe that's when that scripture was filled, fulfilled. <clears throat> Verse 49. For he... <clears throat> drink here. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength in his arm, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them to low agree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Wow. That's quite a, quite a mouthful for Mary, who's not an educated little peasant girl. But when the Holy Spirit overshadows us and the Holy Spirit comes upon us, praise comes out of our mouths. If you don't know how to worship God, just start praising God. You may not be able to pray through every situation in your life, but there's nothing you can't praise through. If you want God to show up, the best place to start is praise him. Tell God how wonderful he is. Thank him for saving you. Thank him for whatever it might be in your life. And then God's going to show up because he inhabits the praises of his people. So we want God to show up. We want to feel that overshadowing of the Holy Spirit and in our lives. Hey, start praising God. And Mary turned into a prophet right here. Now she understood what the prophets felt like because she was prophesying what was going to happen, who Jesus was going to be. He was going to be the mighty one. He was going to show his strength. He's going to meet all the needs of Israel and remember, remember his mercy. And he, as he spoke to Abraham and his seed forever. He went, she went all the way back to Abraham and realized that was where the promise started. That started at Abraham out of your, this seed. All the people of the world will be blessed. And all the people of the world was going to be blessed through Mary because she said yes to God. Mary said yes to God. And she blessed the whole world. Wow. That's something, isn't it? Man, we thinking, well, we used to. I don't know anymore. We, we used to, when our kids would grow up, maybe they'll grow up to be president. That used to be an honorable profession. <laughs> and we used to think, oh, that'd be so great. Our, my kid a president. And they come around and say, oh, you know, you go like this, proud of your kid. I remember one time, <clears throat> my youngest son, he gave us fits all his life. I mean, he was a little monster, whatever, curtain climber, whatever you wanted to look at, he, he gave us fits. And I remember when he was in ninth grade, for a short period of his life, he turned his life around. And he did the commencement speech at his uh, junior high commencement. They had, you know, junior high and in high school, they had them kind of separate. I don't know, they don't do that in this area, I guess. It's just kind of like middle school, or kind of middle, middle school, and they call it junior high. And I was never so proud as I was when I went there and heard my son do a speech. He was the only boy that was doing a speech. And he, and he spoke on, I have a dream. And it was just elegant. I have a copy of it at home. And that was one of the proudest moments that I had as a mother. Because here was this little juvenile delinquent, and all of a sudden, here he is, up there. Wow, how exciting that was. Well, that's what Mary, she's going through. Man, every person in the world is going to be blessed because of my child. Oh, wow, you want to talk about puff out your chest and hold up, you know, whatever. Because she had a reason to be to be excited because every person in the world would be blessed because of her willingness to serve God. And we don't know in our own lives if we have the willingness to serve God. Maybe somebody in our can bless the world. We don't know. 
If we raise our kids the way they need to raise, who knows what they're what going to happen to them? What's going to happen to the world? They may find the cure to cancer. They might find a cure to something else. We don't know. The problem with our society is we're killing our, our babies, and so we're probably killing the people that have all the answers to these cures and all these diseases. Where are they? People are at praying and ask God, God, where's the cure for cancer? Where's the cure for AIDS? And God says, hey, I sent them, but you killed them. And that's the reality of it. And we need to, as, as Christians, need to pray that that will be stopped. Because that's not God's will. I don't care what they are. If people, you know, it's, it's not the best form of birth control. The best form of birth control is don't, is don't mess around until you're married. That's the simple, that's that message. Okay, uh, verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned home. After three months, she stayed with Elizabeth. She had all these wonderful things happen in her life. She had all these things going on, and her faith would just built up so much. She had the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. She had the Holy Spirit dwelling within her, within her womb. And, and it took, you know, three months of all this buildup and all these things going on to verify what's going on in her life. How many times do we, when we get a promise for God, we're just such in a hurry to just get out of there and leave God's presence when we need to linger? We need to stay in God's presence. We need to stay there until our faith is built up enough to where we can face the world. She needed a lot of faith because she's going back home. She could have just stood there and hid out and had the baby and not faced the her family not face the world, but she didn't. She had enough faith from that experience that she had with God. She lingered there for three months until her faith was so overwhelming in her soul, she said, bring him on. She'd be like me uh, chasing hell with a squirt gun, expecting it to extinguish the fire. And that was the, that's the faith that we need to have in our lives and in our hearts. And that's what she had. And sometimes maybe it won't take three months. Maybe it only takes a couple of hours. It doesn't matter. But we need to learn to tarry before God and be able to let his faith build up in our hearts so we can go out and we can face the world and we can be strong Christians for God and don't need to worry about what anybody else says. But after this experience, Mary had enough faith that she returned home and she was willing to face the world. Come, come and get it. I'm not concerned in the least bit. I'm not worrying about it because God's going to take care of it. And that's what we need to learn at this time of year. Christmas time. Oh, what a great time. This is the beginning of Christmas that we've talked about the last few weeks. Next year, maybe we'll do some more. <laughs> but Christmas is the most exciting time of the year. The most exciting time that we can talk to our neighbors about God because it's front and center. You can't say Christmas without mentioning Christ. So the door's more open now than it's ever, ever going to be. And we need to will be willing to say, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I believe that Christ was born and he died on a cross for my sin and I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to celebrate Christmas. I'm going to worship God and I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. How about you? This morning, Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there somebody this morning that during this special time of year that you haven't even had enough gumption to even accept Christ as your personal Savior and you don't know him as your Savior? Is there anybody here this morning that could say that? With an uplift hand say, I don't know him, but I want to. Okay. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I haven't really had a lot of faith in my life. 
But I want to have the faith that Mary had and to be able to step forth and be able to conquer whatever God has want, wants me to fight in the name of Jesus. Is anybody here with a raised hand say, I want to do that from now on? Okay. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you.